Support for Talking Art on WVIK comes from the people at Quad City Bank and Trust, helping the local community with their banking and financial needs for more than 20 years. Information is at qcbt.com. Support also comes from the estate of Margaret Skinner, a longtime friend of WVIK and lover of the arts. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with Scott Beck and Brian Woods, who wrote the wildly successful movie A Quiet Place, which initially premiered at the South by Southwest Film Festival, and which opened in the U.S. on April 6th, earning a whopping $50 million on its opening weekend. They were also executive producers on the film and grew up right here in our community, in Bettendorf. Scott and Brian, it's such a pleasure to speak with you today. Thanks for having us today. Sure. Thank you so much for talking. Uh, you met at Bettendorf Middle School when you were 11 or so, and I read that you started out making stop action films with your Star Wars figures, which is just hilarious. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Brian and I met sitting at the same lunch table at Bettendorf Middle School, and uh, we quickly discovered that both of us were making these short movies with our action figures. And um, it kind of took off from there where we would start writing scripts, gathering our, our middle school friends and high school friends, and just making these no-budget short films and feature films within the Quad Cities everywhere across town. Mm-hmm. So you were really kindred spirits who just happened to uh, find each other. When you moved on to Benton North High School, you, you mentioned being influenced by a teacher, uh, Roger Wilming, who showed films to you in class. Uh, what would you say about the role that mentors played in your professional development? Um, a huge role. I mean, Mr. Wilming for us was always somebody who was encouraging our creativity. And, um, he, you know, he taught a great fiction class and exposed us to um, excellent writers and, and amazing movies. And, and it's so helpful to have somebody who you look up to take an interest in your work and, and kind of encourage you. I know that that was fuel for us uh, throughout high school. It, it kind of inspired us to keep pushing ourselves and trying to get better and better at making movies. Yeah, I agree. I think you don't want to underestimate the role that teachers play um, with with us in terms of uh, potentially influencing our lives down the road. Um, but, you know, as early as high school, you two really were doing great things. You were starting to produce some feature films together. And, and how did you manage to pull this off? How, how did you even fund it? I would say these movies were only possible because we grew up in the Quad Cities. Um, and, and by that, I mean... We had so many resources that we were able to tap into. So we would hold casting calls and we would have hundreds of actors show up. Um, we'd be able to shoot you know, our, our films around different locations and you don't have to have a permit. Um, we would screen the films at the local IMAX theater and we would hand out test scorecards to our audience and figure out how do we make this movie better? So all of these films were always very community driven in our mind. And that's what really empowered us at a young age because we had plentiful resources in the Quad Cities. Oh, that's great. So you put some on at the Putnam then. Yeah, yeah. The Putnam IMAX. We screened there. We screened at the Adler Theater. We did like local high schools. So mm-hmm. it really was um, such a cool area to grow up. And I think in retrospect, we, we love it even more having seen, you know, how, how enabling the community was. Mm-hmm. That's great. I love the idea of you guys passing out cards and getting critiques because you really had to learn so much at this point. You were not just writing a story and directing it, but you had to learn like, you know, audio and lighting and many other skills as well. 
Yeah, and those skills uh, have really helped us both as writers and directors. It's just being able to know every single facet of what goes into making a film. Usually the hope is that it makes us better at our jobs. Mm-hmm. Well, you both attended the University of Iowa, and I love this. You received the same degrees, a BA in communication yeah. studies in 2007. Uh, why communication studies and not cinema? Um, it was in part because we were doing so much filmmaking on our own um, that we felt we wanted to get a slightly different perspective when we were finally getting our college degree. We certainly thought about going to film schools and looked at schools in Chicago and Los Angeles. At the end of the day, um, we just came back to communication studies because we felt that there is plenty to learn about how you kind of navigate the world with communications or sometimes, you know, nonverbal communications as well. Yeah, and that turned out to be probably a great idea because you were completely immersed in film while you were students. But I don't know, did you, did you ever sleep? Um, you, you, because while you were un- undergraduates, <laughs> you won the MTVU's Best Film on Campus Challenge in 2005. And you were also considered for Project Greenlight, which is a Matt Damon and Ben Affleck project designed to empower new filmmakers. So you were very busy in film. And it really sounds like, to me, a great idea to pursue your educational, your formal education along a little different route? Yeah, we, I mean, we certainly uh, never slept throughout college. And we, um, we always felt that there was a drive to juggle many things at once. And I think that's a philosophy that we, we started in college juggling classes and juggling film outside of classes. But um, we do to this day where we always have like three to five projects that we're working on at once. How did you learn to write a screenplay? Did you learn that in college? Or did you just pick that up on your own? And if you can explain it, if you don't mind, besides the dialogue, there's so much more that goes into it, right? You have to put in these action lines and don't you comment on lighting yeah, and, yeah. and the angle and that you're filming from and th- that type of thing? Absolutely. Yeah. Screenplay is basically, it's it's everything that goes into a movie. It's it's the story. It's the characters. It's, it's what the characters say to each other. It's how they move into a scene, how they interact with the scene. What is the scene? It's the setting. It's the stage. It's the props. It's it's everything you see in a movie on paper before the movie's ever made. And um, I don't know. We just learned from reading other scripts. We, we learned at a very young age, probably I'd say about um, you know, when we were at least fifth grade, sixth grade, our early screenplays looked like plays because that, that was the easiest thing to get access to, whether that's like reading the crucible on page and like figuring out like, oh, how do you write dialogue and, and how do you describe a scene? And then and then eventually uh, using the Internet, you know, we were able to find scripts for our favorite movies like Jurassic Park or Alien um, and being able to uh, reference what our heroes had done on the page and figure out how to write a screenplay from there. So a lot of it was very much self-taught. Yeah, that's really interesting that you could just somewhat mimic that and then make it work. What What would you say to a young person from the Quad Cities who was interested in film or in writing as a career? And would you have any specific advice for them? The biggest advice is don't wait for opportunities and make your own opportunities. That's really what Brian and I did early on when we were kids. We just picked up a camera and got our friends together and learned how to write scripts, just shot whatever films we could. And Iowa and the Quad Cities specifically is such a rich atmosphere to make movies in where you can find plenty of resources. So there's no real reason to wait around. Just go ahead and go out there and and make your movies. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that's lovely. You'd mentioned in a previous interview about a nonverbal communication course that you took while an undergrad at Iowa. Given the fact that th- that this movie of yours, A Quiet Place, has minimal dialogue and 
some people really describe it as a silent film. That was a perfect class for you to take, and it was very prophetic in a way. Yeah, that class was phenomenal in part because um, when we were coming up with the idea for A Quiet Place, it was right around the same time we took the nonverbal communication course, which taught us and made us more aware about all the different cues that human beings give off when they're not even saying anything. And at the core of Quiet Place, that's really what is the uh, kind of the issue of the family who are the main characters in the story is that they have something they need to say to each other but they can't literally speak out loud. And so we found that really fascinating in this course, just the idea that you could say everything in terms of like who you are as a person and what you're feeling without saying a single word. Mm-hmm. And this might be a good time to kind of describe the plot or storyline of A Quiet Place for those listeners who may not have seen it. The basic log line for Quiet Place is that if you make a sound, you die. <laughs> and we, um, we follow a family on a farm and we discover that there is something on that farm that is hunting them if they make a sound. So the whole engine behind it is using what you don't see, but what you hear to really scare the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it works really well. It works, I think, for several reasons. One, it's just such an original idea. It was such a creative thought that you guys had. And and this goes back again to, to 2011 or something like that. Uh, no, it was prior to that. You guys were still undergrads at Iowa when you started, when you came up with this very novel idea, but you tucked it away, right? And then you brought that idea back and started working at it in earnest several years ago. Yeah, the the whole process of writing A Quiet Place did take quite a while. Um, from the standpoint that we had this um, core idea of doing a modern day silent film years ago, um, but it was just over the the last several years things started coming together in terms of we wanted to do kind of an Iowa-inspired farm setting. We had this idea of a family that had communication issues on a very metaphorical level. And um, we started really writing the script a few years ago, and it it came really quickly in terms of the the final product. Once it finally was written, we were able to get that into uh, production companies and Paramount Pictures pretty fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, part of the originality is, like you you had said, the communication issues. So besides it being incredibly dangerous to make a sound to talk at all the oldest child who is reagan abbott in the film but played by millicent simmons she's uh, deaf so the family is very adept at communicating with each other through sign language which is just this beautiful aspect to the film thank you for saying that yeah we our feeling was always it had to have the movie had to operate on two different levels one if you make a sound something scary and bad will happen and so it works on that kind of roller coaster ride level and then two beyond that it, it works on as scott said a metaphorical level where this family has suffered a tragedy and they've lost a member of their family and so they're not really communicating they're not really connecting in a way that they need to as a family unit in order to survive so we talked a lot about how even if this post-apocalyptic event with monsters was happening, they still wouldn't really be communicating to the best of their ability. And so the movie uh, hopefully takes on kind of a more um, kind of has a thematic uh, value to it um, beyond just the scares. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what they do communicate so well to the viewer is the fact that they love each other very much. I mean, this is a really close-knit family. And it makes you as a viewer really pull for them. You want them so desperately to survive. So they treat each other with kindness by just their simple touches and their expressions. And it's, it's really lovely to see. And 
you know, I think everyone seems to be talking about this horror film genre and how it's being infused by new creative takes uh, takes on the form, like like the movie Get Out and now your film A Quiet Place. But you could almost make an argument that your film is also a love story. It's not just a horror film. Certainly. I, the horror films that stick in our minds the most are movies that are about something beneath the surface and they're about characters that really have a purpose. And that was always the focus for us. Um, we never wanted Quiet Place just to feel like a gimmick film where it's simply about, you know, not making a sound. We always wanted to make sure that there was a core family here that you really kind of fell in love with and, um, you know, wanted to follow and, and see an emotional arc by the end of the film. So that was always like the number one goal at this film. Mm-hmm. I think by the time the family leaves the pharmacy, the pharmacy in that first scene, you already love them. And the silent aspect of the film is, you know, punctuated periodically by, by music or some sounds. I thought it was really touching when uh, the, when Emily Blunt and John Krasinski, who are playing the lead characters who are in real life married, uh, when, Emily is listening to that um, Neil Young song on her headset and she takes an earbud out of her own ear and places it in John's ear. And then all of a sudden the the theater, which had been so quiet, is filled with this beautiful song. And it, it's really moving. Oh, good, good. That was one of, uh, that was an idea we had very, very early on in the early stages of writing this because that just came out of, you know, how are we going to have a movie that is completely silent the whole time like how can we find ways to kind of bring in not just um sounds and music but also levity and warmth and emotion it's a scene that we're we're quite proud of because the mo- you live in stark silence for so long that it really is kind of a comforting moment to, to have that fill the theater yeah it, it is and kind of gives you a little <clears throat> jolt you realize what they're missing to not have music in your life to not have right. sound at all would be would be so hard but at the same time as a viewer you, you, you kind of think turn the music off you know it's dangerous <laughs> um, yeah. you know the pregnancy scene was was frightening but what was even worse to me was the prospect of the baby being delivered and then the baby crying that was really hard yeah. and I didn't think about it until the baby was born and then there was this dawning realization like oh my gosh the baby can't make a sound Yeah, the baby and the pregnancy was one of those very initial ideas where we thought, okay, in this in this world where we have these rules, if you make a noise, what's the worst thing that could happen? And of course, we thought being pregnant and then having a child and that just felt like it upped the stakes in a scary way. But also like looking beneath the surface, we felt that having a baby in this world, while some people might view that as a bad decision, we viewed it as a hopeful decision and something that actually gave this family more purpose in terms of, you know, trying to survive. Yeah. It just adds to the depth. I I would agree of the, of your film. Now this film was shot in upstate New York, but there were several nods that you really couldn't uh, ignore to your home state of Iowa with the, the cornfield prominently placed near the farmhouse. And there's also another frightening scene where the siblings uh, Reagan and Marcus Abbott, played by Millicent Simmons and, and Noah Jupe, uh, they fall into a corn silo. So I thought that was kind of fun. And to me, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but to me, I felt like, oh, that's, you know, that's our Iowa connection. Oh, certainly. I mean, the whole film was written, uh, you know, as if it could have been shot in Iowa. And the corn silos, that's one of those ideas that, you know, living in the Quad Cities, you always see those corn silos and you always hear about how dangerous they can be. And <laughs> 
it felt like a natural fit into this movie, especially, um, you know, in, in this situation where you don't want to make a sound, but as soon as you fall in one of those, you're going to make a sound and you also have to survive and not drown in there. So mm-hmm. it felt like, um, like a, great touchstone a dangerous touchstone uh to our to our hometown oh yeah i thought it was it was perfect and and uh one kind of funny piece of information that i read was you had to purchase 20 tons of corn and you hired some local farmers to grow it so how much did that cost like i was kind of curious do you know what percentage of your 21 million dollar budget was dedicated to growing corn uh, you would have to ask Paramount Pictures <laughs> about that. It's one of those situations on, you know, a movie of this scale that, um, you know, if you want something done right, sometimes you have to pay for it. So luckily, a major studio is, is behind you to, to take care of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I'm also curious about your relationship in general, because that's another story of itself. Uh, you have this long working relationship and you have such a unique creative partnership Despite the two of you being in your early 30s, you've been working together for over 20 years now. Yeah, it's kind of wild to think about how long Brian and I have been working together. Um, But at this point, it's pretty effortless. And I think that's in part because we both grew up loving the same movies, making movies together, and just found uh, a healthy creative partnership that also inspires um, this back and forth healthy competition where, for instance, in the writing stage, you know, I may have an idea. And then I toss that to Brian. He's like, Oh, that's a that's all right. But what if we did this and this to it? And then I add to that. So it just goes back and forth. And in a way, we're kind of an audience for each other's ideas that that creates something that's stronger together than it would be if we were working individually apart. Mm -hmm. So do you tend to have similar ideas and passions? Or do you sometimes come in a story from very different angles? I mean, does it vary from one project to the next? Yeah, it's always a a healthy balance of both. Scott and I love a lot of the same movies and because we've been friends for so long, we have similar frame of reference for, for everything, for for art and, and, and media and music. And so we have this shared kind of taste and passion that makes it really easy to talk about things, but we're two different people at the same time. So we're usually able to approach um, a problem or a roadblock from two different angles. And, um, you know, it's always best idea wins, best solution wins between us. There's not a lot of ego. Mm-hmm. Well, it almost sounds like there's a synergistic effect in a way, like what you guys create together is probably uh, superior, maybe better quality um, than what you would do alone. And that's, that's the really great thing about a good working partnership. That's how we've always felt. We've always felt that, uh, you know, working together, our work is definitely elevated. That's absolutely 100% true. Mm -hmm. Brian, I read a quote from you somewhere where you said one helpful aspect of having a creative partner is that you go through the low points together, which which are really common. And rejections are, are much more common than successes in your business. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we go through rejection every day, every day. Um, you know, something, something goes wrong or something doesn't get picked up or bought or notes come in, uh, on a project that we're writing or directing, um, that we have to deal with. There's always, there's many, many low points, much more low points than high points, um, in a, in a film career. And, um, it's so great to have somebody to experience that with you. I can only imagine, uh, if if I was doing this alone, it would be a very lonely, uh, uh, sad life. But instead, with Scott and I together, uh, it's much easier to laugh at the uh, at the low points and get through it together as a team. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great take home message. You have such a bright future ahead, but I do hope that the two of you are taking the time now to really enjoy this moment of yours. It's a really special time. 
Yeah, thank you. It's it's pretty incredible, and we're we're still shell shocked to this day. But I have to say, one of one of the absolute highlights was coming back to Iowa and uh, screening a quiet place there for the community. It was really an incredible way to celebrate it. Well, that's great. I wish I'd been there. I, I just saw your picture in the Quad City Times with the two of you holding up your movie tickets in front of the theater, which was yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> and that theater is pretty amazing now. What did you think of those nice, big reclining seats? Oh, those those seats are amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's it's fun because that's that's our childhood theater. That's where we used to go see movies all the time. But now to relax in that comfort is even better. <laughs> Well, Scott Beck and Brian Woods, thank you so much for talking with us today. I love the story of local people doing great things, that that you can grow up in Iowa yet have a very successful film career. And I hope you know how proud the Quad Cities is of you and the entire state of Iowa for that matter. That's very nice of you to say. Thank you so much for having us. You're so welcome. I I don't know. You probably didn't hear the huge collective cheer that erupted um, from the Quad Cities all the way out in L.A., but um, but we, one of your monsters <laughs> probably would have heard it. <laughs> so thank you so much and good luck. Yep. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. This has been Carolyn Martin talking art in the Quad Cities for WVIK. Our theme music is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Cal. Thank you.